Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head from Rochester in the UK. Chamatka Sandu from Toronto in Canada. Looking back at UFC 258, where the welterweight champion of the world, Kamara Usman, did the business in the main event. Sandu, it was, I felt a bit sorry for him leading in. I've got to be honest, because he had virtually no promotional support in terms of star power on the fight card. So his payday wouldn't have been as big as we would have normally expected for a pay-per-view headliner, getting the pay-per-view points, all the rest of it. But when it came to turning up and showing up and delivering on fight night, he did. Great performance, finishes Gilbert Burns, and still. What did you make of his performance, mate? You could probably argue that this might have been his best performance ever. I mean, his career is littered with dominant performances, but tons of decisions. And when you look at what he had to do in terms of weathering the storm in the first round, you know, getting getting clipped by Burns early, it just showed, you know, the man's got a chin on him, Simon. And the fact that he came back in round two with and just utilized that jab, just you can see just the the maturation of, of his overall MMA game. You know, tip of the hat to, to Trevor Whitman, who's obviously, you know, really helped him in that department. And then, you know, getting the job done early in the third to finish Gilbert Burns, just emphatic. And, and like you said, you know, probably not the biggest pay-per-view of all time. So who knows how many eyeballs were actually on this one. But for, for the hardcore fans that have been following his career and for, I guess, UFC fans that just tune in week in, week out, that know what this fight was going to be about. I mean, you know, it, it, it certainly lived up to expectations. It delivered the goods. It really did. And... What can you say about Kamar Usman, the Nigerian nightmare? I mean, goodness gracious me. If, if he can continue on this form, and I'm not saying it's there right now, but if, if for the next couple of years you throw in, I don't know, three, four, five more title defenses, I think then it's time to have a conversation about where he ranks amongst the greatest welterweight of all time, obviously the comparison being against George St. Pierre. But as far as this past week can go, Simon, fantastic, phenomenal. Just um, all-round fantastic performance by Kamaru Usman. Yeah, yeah, I like him a lot. I mean, I, I, the thing I like about him is he doesn't he doesn't try and be something he isn't. You know what I mean? You get some people mm -hmm. who they feel like they have to really put themselves out there in order to get themselves uh, a shot. Usman's just done it through his own performances inside the octagon. He had a problem getting getting through the ranks because. He was such a nightmare matchup, or puns intended with the nickname, but no one wanted to fight this guy when he was on his way up. He had to really earn his spot on the top table at 170 pounds. And then when he got his chance against Tyron Woodley uh, for the belt, he just he just did a number on him. And uh, he, looks, he looks like a guy who plans on sticking around for quite some time. Dana White said it was undeniable in the press conference that he would surpass George St. Pierre which I think is being a little bit premature, but what it does do, it throws a little bit of um, uh, long overdue credit Kamara Usman's way. I think, I think he deserves more than more, more um, celebration, if you like, than he gets. Um, he might not be the most spectacular fighter to watch. You might, you might not have a sort of a, a huge highlight reel in terms of spectacular finishes, but when he goes in there and fights, um, you know, you see you, you you see a proper fight every time he goes in there and he got a big, big win against Gilbert Burns. And the, and the thing that makes it really interesting moving forward, he got hurt in that fight. He got clipped, he got dropped, 
Got caught, he caught one just behind the ear in the first round from Burns. And for a while there, it looked like Burns was going to, was actually going to get a, a first round finish. But Usman recovered really well. I mean, I guess that shows you what kind of condition the man's in. And then he came back and, and, and just basically picked Burns apart with his jab. And uh, I think I mentioned last week that Burns has been hurt with strikes in the past by smaller men. And uh, Usman's a big, strong guy at 170 pounds and he finished him. So you mentioned, you know, the whole legacy thing with GSP. In an ideal world, and he even said it after the fight, he'd love to face GSP, but I think he also knows that that fight isn't going to happen. He called out George Masvidal. Um, what did you make of that call-out? Is that a good common-sense call-out? First off, should a champion be making call-outs? Because it's kind of weird. Normally, the champ's the guy getting called out by everybody. He actually called out George Masvidal, which I thought was very interesting. But looking around at the 170-pound division, is he... Is he has he done what's best for business there, do you think? He absolutely has. At the end of the day, these are prize fighters we're talking about. And when you're a UFC champion, as we have discussed, you know, at nauseum in the past, that's when you get pay-per-view points. That's when you're, you know, earning top dollar and making the most of all of your opportunities. Yeah, it's kind of weird when a champion is the one doing the calling out. You like to see it happen from, you know, the other way around. But Usman's, you know, smart enough to know that looking at the lay of the land, here's a guy I can fight who's a massive draw. It's something that the UFC would easily want to do in terms of putting on a rematch. There's a built-in storyline, which he kind of brought to the surface again. Say, hey, listen, you know, Jorge Mazadal only had, you know, six days notice. He's been yapping on about having a full camp and what you can do to me with a full camp. Let's, let's see what happens with a full camp, right? So he'd done George Mazadal a massive favor there because it looked like everything was kind of heading in the direction of a Coldy Covington, George Mazadal fight. And obviously, as things have transpired over the last couple of days, it looks like now the UFC is gearing towards a Colby Covington-Leon Edwards fight, which has now opened the door, especially with Usman's post-fight interview, in, uh, in us getting that rematch this year, Simon. And you know, who knows? Maybe it's you know these two are going to be the head coaches on, on the next season of Tough, which I think makes all the sense in the world, because I'm sure ESPN, their major broadcast partner in the US, wants to have a major star and a major draw you know, on that show which you get with George Masvidal, it helps you know, build up the rivalry. You get the payoff um, with, with a title fight and a rematch, uh, a pay-per-view in the summer. So, yeah, all round, all credit to Kamar Usman, not just for the performance inside the octagon, but his, his post-fight interview and planting the seeds for his next big payday, which is a, a rematch with Masvidal. Yeah, I thought he nailed it because, you, you know, you take a look at what he's done at 170 pounds. He hasn't cleaned the division out. But he's beaten most of the top names in the division. He's beaten all of the top four. Um, I think the highest ranked guy he hasn't beaten yet is Wonderboy, who's ranked fifth. And he actually came out, I think, yesterday or, or early earlier today and said, um, I'm the highest ranked guy you haven't beaten. Surely I must be next, right? Don't think it's going to work like that, if I'm honest. I think Wonderboy is going to need to win another fight. Um, but I also think that having he knows he knows the situation all the top guys in the division he's beaten them all once and then it's a case of, okay if i want a big fight next who's the biggest payday you know he already knows he can beat them he's beaten them all so who's the biggest payday which is the fight that's going to get him the most the most star power the most notoriety that's going to help him moving forward in his career. And it's definitely a fight with George Masvidal, no doubt about it. And if I end up coaching tough, then that's even better because we get that, that nice slow buildup 
Um, there is simmering rivalry between them. You know, we had they they had that. Um, what was it? It was it was almost like a almost a head to head argument on Radio Row leading into the Super Bowl two years ago. Um, and uh, yeah, it was it was it was a weird one. I, th- I think it was I think it was a Super Bowl, and um, they had to be sort of separated and escorted off the premises and all the rest of it. So it's not like it's not going to be like a mutual respect thing like we saw with Gilbert Burns this past week. These two don't really like each other all that much. You know, there is competitive rivalry there, which makes makes for good TV on tough. I think Usman coming through the collegiate side, he's got that solid background. I think he'd be a, a good coach in tough. Masvidal has got that charisma and personality and everything that you want from 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 a coach in tough. It's dynamite. It's perfect. Book it. I think that's that's exactly what we need, um, especially when there aren't any contenders that are really knocking on the door right now for a title shot. You know, even even Leon Edwards, who we you know we've said for ages deserves a shot. We know that he has to win at least one more fight. Um, and it looks like it might be Colby. So if Wonderboy wants a shot, he's going to need to win one more fight. So it makes sense to do tough now. I think I think that makes perfect sense. What about Gilbert Burns? What do you think he's going to need to do next? Obviously, he's going to need a bit of time away um, just to recover. He'll probably be on a three-month no-contact medical suspension uh, pending clearance from doctors and stuff. So he'll probably have a little bit of time off before he can get back into into full contact training and sparring again because he got TKO'd. So, but when he comes back, where should he be looking? Who should he be looking at? Because he's he's fought quite a few of those guys at 170 already. Is there someone that you think, yeah, that that's a good area for him to come back in? Well, first of all, I have to say, Gilbert Burns, you know, give him give him his due. You know, he really did do what I thought he was going to do and what he showcased over the last year or so, which oh. is he is super aggressive with his offense and he went for it. And there was a moment there, like we discussed, that we both thought, oh, my God, he's going to finish Kamaru in the first round and, you know, you know, really secure that title with an emphatic fashion. But it wasn't to be. I think with Gilbert Burns, take a bit of time off, go back to the drawing board. Obviously, look, you know, you fought your way to a title shot. You know, you beat some absolute massive names, some really top-level guys in Woodley and, and Damian Meyer. Maybe, you know, this is the, a perfect opportunity for someone like, Stephen Thompson, you know, to fight, you know, for, for, for Wonder Boy to fight someone right now that just fought for the title, boom, that puts you right back in the mix. I think it's great to have the number five spot next to your name, but you've been inactive for so long. It's tough. The same situation that Leon Edwards is going through right now. He, he's, he's in prime position, according to the rankings, just been in, inactive for so long. Uh, and that's not his fault. You know, fights keep falling out because of COVID or because of whatever. Um, so, yeah, so I think Gilbert Burns, you could probably match him up with someone like a Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, uh, or maybe if you want to look a little bit further down the list, maybe a Michael Chiesa, someone like that. And again, I think for Chiesa and Wonderboy, that's a win. To fight someone who was just in title contention uh, would be massive for you. That's what I do. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I like the standard of the Wonderboy matchup. I think that gives Wonderboy the chance to move up. It gives Burns the chance to rebound and keep himself up right up there in that, in that top five position. It was a big night on Saturday for Alexa Grasso in the co-main event. First of all, she's fighting in a co-main event on a pay-per-view, which is a big deal in itself, uh, representing Mexico, taking on Macy Barber and getting the win in impressive fashion. It was a unanimous decision, 29-28. Barber had a good final round, but 
Grasso had pretty much bossed it up to that point and really had the fight in the bag at that point. You know, unless you get stopped in that final round, she wasn't losing that fight. But she looks super impressive. She's only fought in the division in the UFC twice. She's picked up two wins, both of them looking pretty good doing it. And um, as if the, it wasn't good enough that she'd gone in and, and got the win, straight after the fight, Kathleen Chikagian, who has been ranked in the top three for what feels like forever at 125 pounds, tweeted her congratulations and said, I would love to fight you next. Um, wasn't a, an aggressive call out. It wasn't a disrespectful call out, but it was a call out. And for if I'm Alexa Grasso, I'm absolutely diving all over that matchup because you then go in there and beat Caitlin Chikagian. You're basically there for a title shot. So I thought that was a, a perfect way for her to round off her weekend, turning up. And and doing a great job with her media stuff as well. You know, she she her her English is 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 absolutely outstanding, which helps her get across really well. Um, Macy Barber was obviously the hype prospect, but Grasso went in there, did the business, and uh, I think there's a new contender at 125 pounds. What did you make of it? Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? A couple of wins in a brand new weight class, and you're the talk of the town, especially when you just had a a great win in a co-main event of a of a UFC pay per view. Okay, albeit not the biggest selling pay per view of all time. But it was a solid spot for her. And look at her opponent, Macy Barber. Had everyone talking about this is the return of Macy Barber and she's the future. And she's got this whole narrative you know, going on about her being the youngest UFC champion of all time and all the rest of it. Well, talk about just stealing all that thunder and you know, taking all the kudos away with a performance like that. And much like Usman in the main event, I think Chukagin's done a massive favor for Grasso here because heading into this the past weekend, Grasso was ranked number 15. And, you know, if you take away the call out from Chikagian and put it to the side, that performance alone would have probably, she would have probably cracked the top 10 anyway. And the fact that the number two ranked fighter in the division is calling you out for a fight, talk about a gift from the gods. Because you're right, Simon, you beat Chikagian, you've got three wins in a row, and boom, you've got another contender. For, for Valentina Shevchenko. So yeah, loved her performance, loved the fact that she's picked up a solid bit of, of English now, uh, which really helped her in her post-fight interview. An all-round win-win for Alexa Barrasso this past weekend. Yeah, and it wasn't just a big night for her. It was a huge night for Kelvin Gastelum. This was a man who was going into fight night with his back against the wall, Sandu. You know, this is former Ultimate Fighter winner, always been considered a top-tier fighter, someone who's there or thereabouts without ever really quite making it to the very, very top. And uh, he had that great fight with Israel Adesanya at middleweight. Obviously, he was doing quite well at welterweight, didn't he? And then he had a few problems with the scale. And they basically bullied him up into the into the middleweight division. He should probably still be fighting at 70, to be honest. But he's fighting at 85. And then he lost three on the spin to elite-level competition. And he was in a bit of a spot, you know, you lose three in a row in the UFC, all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're, you're getting worried about being handed your P45. So it's getting a bit tricky for Kelvin Gastelum heading into fight night against a guy who notoriously tough on his way up in the division and a really, really tough proposition in Ian Heinish. And Gastelum went in there and put on what I thought was a really mature controlled performance. Didn't get himself into too many, too many tricky positions dealt with Heinish relatively well, got the unanimous decision. And uh, when it comes to calling out and, and positioning yourself for your next fight, here's another example of knowing your own stock and leveraging it as best you possibly can. 
He's been in and around the top of the division for a while, Sandu, but he's, he was kind of down on his luck. He'd had the three defeats and people were beginning to wonder whether he was still there, you know, able to be up there. He beats Ian Heinish. Rather than calling out an individual fighter, he said, Robert Whittaker and Paolo Costa are fighting. I want to be the backup for that fight. I will, I will step in and face either one of those guys on short notice. And I thought that is absolutely perfect because what that then does, it puts him banging, like it puts him on the fringes of the conversation in the UFC's top four because that is basically a title eliminator between those two. So if he's if he's the backup man for that fight, that's the UFC saying, yeah, you too could be one win away from a title shot. So even if he doesn't get that fight, the opponent that he should get next shouldn't be too far of a grade below those two. So whether it's a Jack Hermanson in a rematch or whether it's someone like a Jared Cannonier or someone like that, it needs to be someone who's there or thereabouts themselves. So I thought for Kelvin Gastelum, bearing in mind he's on a bit of a rebuilding job, I thought it was a, a, a job well done all weekend. All, all, all ends up. I thought it was a good performance from him. Yeah, and you know you could tell in the post fight interview the lad was fighting back the tears. Yes, yeah. he had a you know tasted victory and had his hand raised inside the octagon since May of 2018. Imagine what that does to a competitive athlete when you don't get a chance to you know enjoy the fruits of your labor by by having that hand raised and being able to progress in your career. It's been a tough couple of years for Kelvin Gastelum, and I agree with you. I think he still should be fine out welterweight, but listen, you know. He, he really you know, took Adesanya uh, the distance, and that was a very competitive fight, um, and he's the current champion. But look, he's got a loss against Adesanya. He's got a loss against Hermanson. He's got a loss against Till. All three of those guys are ahead of him at the moment. And for him to get a win like this, and then, yeah, I agree with you, Simon, just to put himself in the conversation. Ideal situation, we get Paolo Costa versus Robert Whitaker without any hitches. But as we saw once again last week, these cards are falling apart so bad. There's cancellations day of, week of. You know, it's you know a situation where then you know the UFC does need backup fighters, and it's not bad to have someone that's got some name value like Kelvin Gastelum. And yeah, look, if that fight goes uh, goes on without any hitches, I agree with you. You know, throw him in there with, against someone like a Cannoneer. Let's continue the build. Um, there's no need because if he if he does get a situation where he's fighting a real top contender right now, like a a Costa. Or, or a Whitaker or someone you know of of that nature and takes another another loss, then you just kind of you know lost all that momentum all over again. So personally, I prefer a slow build, but a good 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 uh, situation for him if he is able to slip in to a, a main event situation where he's fighting a top contender there. Yeah, definitely. Uh, featherweight fight on the card: Ricky Simone and Brian Kelleher. Good back and forth fight. Ricky Simone getting the win in that one. We'll, we'll run past that low, Sandu. I want to talk about the fight that opened the main card. I'm sure you have been all over this being a resident social media guru. Julian Marquez is, is a breath of fresh air anyway. Ever, you know, he's easily forgotten about because he's been away for so long. He had a bizarre injury with the, uh, with these, with his, I think it was his shoulder. Um, very rare injury with his shoulder that took him out of the sport for like 30 odd months. I think it was. And uh, he came back against Maki Patolo. Uh, two guys who love to stand and bang. So, of course, it finished with a submission, obviously. Marquez was losing the fight. Looked like he was losing it quite convincingly on the scorecards. Managed to pull out the submission in the last minute of the third and final round. 
goes absolutely crazy, uh, celebrating like a madman with James Krause, his coach, and uh, then proceeds to call out, say call out. <laughs> he he asked for a, um, a date pretty much with Miley Cyrus or asked Miley Cyrus to be his Valentine during his post-fight celebration, walked out to one of her songs, a cover of Blondie's Heart of Glass, and Miley Cyrus responded. And then Marquez then issued a challenge back to her. It was all very strange. I don't really know why he didn't just didn't just say thank you very much. But um, I don't quite know what's going on there. But it's getting him. It's getting him out there. That's for sure. And uh, good to see him back in the UFC and getting a win. What did you make of it all? I know you like a good pun, Simon, and a good headline. You could you could you could maybe call this a, a Cupid missile crisis. How about that one? <laughs> I couldn't resist. I just couldn't resist, Simon. <laughs> we'll stop the podcast now. We, yeah. we, aren't, we aren't going to do any better than that. No. Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for listening. <laughs> oh, my God. But, yeah, look, it was it was fun to get him back. The, the walkout, the walkout song, yeah, like you said, breath of fresh air. And much like, you know, um, who we were just talking about who hasn't fought in a, in, a, in, a, in a very long time or hasn't won in a very long time. We were just talking about Kelvin Gastelum, weren't we? Julian Marquez, he's been out for a while and just not coming off a loss, but, you know, actually he was coming off a loss, but just uh, the horrendous injuries that he's had to deal with. Uh, comes back with a performance, you know, a really come from behind situation because had that third round, you know, come to a conclusion, he was probably looking at a, a 28, 29-28 across the board there from the judges um, taking that L. And he was told by his corner, you must finish this fight. It's, you know, it's win or go home in this in this round right now. And, you know, he produced the goods, got it done. The post-fight interview was a little bit all over the shop, I'll tell you that. Like, because the, the Miley Cyrus uh, bit regarding Valentine's Day was, was great, right? But then, you know, he's talking about uh, a UFC, I can't even remember what it was, it's something about uh, the UFC, the loudest arena, or the loudest town or like city. I have no idea what the guy was chatting about. But I'm he was like, workshopping on the fly, wasn't he? he I don't know yeah. what he was doing. And I'm like, mate, this is not the time or place. You're, 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 you're talking to Joe Rogan in a post-fight interview, uh, coming off a win on a main card pay-per-view. You know, Miley Cyrus, good. That's going to do great for social. Now let's get back to your career and you know, try to figure out a game plan in terms of who you're going to fight next. So, yeah. Bit, a bit of a, a, a wobbly post-fight interview there by Marquez, but give him credit where credit's due. Miley Cyrus did respond on Twitter, had a bit of had, had a bit of an exchange there, and if nothing else, it kept him in the conversation uh, on on Sunday with regards to to Valentine's Day. So all kudos to him there. The one thing I did want to quickly speak to you about Simon, and this actually hasn't got to do anything to do with the fights. The UFC introduced new cameras, new lenses, and it kind of gave the the overall, I guess, broadcast a bit of a facelift. Um, it's it's funny, the UFC kind of called that called it out as, as 8K on their social media, which technically isn't true, uh, but I guess they're running with it. We've seen this footage being utilized in the last month or so by the NFL, by the WWE. The WWE is, is where I've really picked up on this because they're using it week in, week out now. And if, especially with how over the top the the wrestlers' entrances are with the pyro, the lighting and the, the stage, the setting and, and all the rest of it. It really kind of, you know, with, the, with, that, with that depth of field really accentuates their, their overall walkout. Seeing the UFC use it, I loved it. 
And so they, they were kind of using it in the cage. They were using it for some of the walkouts. But where it really hit home for me, Simon, and this is where the WWE and the NFL really, it doesn't work for them. The raw emotion of a fist fight, of combat sports in the aftermath, seeing Kamaru Usman go from complete adulation to then seeing his former teammate crying, posing, sitting down on his knees, just trying to like calm himself down. And that all being captured on camera with these new lenses and this new camera kit, it just, um, it blew me away. It was a very, very powerful moment. And um, yeah, just wanted to quickly raise that, bring it up and get your take because I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, I think there were instances where I thought it worked brilliantly. And that, 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 that example was the one I was going to say. There were one or two where I didn't think it worked as well, where they were they were in the corner um, between rounds, and there were just too many bodies in shot. And the only thing in focus, because of the way the camera was behaving, is the is the fighter. But then the guy issuing the instructions was basically just a blur. And I think in that situation it didn't work because I think you need to see that eyeball to eyeball interaction between fighter and coach, and it kind of took away in that in that particular use of the camera. But yeah, the uh, whole Kamara Usman thing, it, it really sort of, it sort of pulls, pulls the subject out, out from the screen a little bit, doesn't it? You know, it just, it's, it's, it's really, it's really interesting. And I've seen it in the, um, in the NFL. I watch a lot of NFL and uh, they use it a lot. The cameras behind the end zone. So when, when players are running for a touchdown, and then you've got the celebrations or you've got the shot of the player crossing the goal line for the touchdown and you've got the shot from behind. They're great because there's so much vivid color in an NFL game. So it really pops. Um, the UFC, you don't have the same vivid color, but what you do have, it's a lot more of a, um, it's a, it's a much cleaner shot. There's not as much noise on the screen. You know, you've basically got, especially right now because there's a pandemic, there's no real fans in, in the backdrop either. You've basically got a darkened room, some caged fencing and three people. And that really sort of, it really pulls those subjects out from, out from the screen. I thought, it, I thought it worked really nicely. The corner cam, I don't think it worked for the corner cam, but other than that, I thought it worked really well. And, you know, the UFC are always looking to tweak and enhance their broadcast uh, production output. And, you know, we already know their production values top top level. So, but yeah, it was good. I, I, I enjoyed it a lot. And if that's their first time doing it, I can only see them refining that process and getting better and better. And who knows what it looks like when it when it comes to an Israel Adesanya walkout, which is you know, tends to be you know quite spectacular. Or when they have fans and they have a, a nice long ramp uh, with some activity going on in the background. The, the difference between the, uh, the UFC versus the WWE is obviously the UFC is real. WWE is, is scripted. The biggest difference between UFC and the NFL is the, the NFL guys are wearing helmets. So it's hard to really see the emotion from their face, you know, whether they're celebrating or what, what have you, uh, which is why I thought, you know, in the, in the aftermath of that main event, uh, getting those you know, emotions captured on a regular camera would have been great. But with this new setup, it just, it just added a little bit of extra spice um for someone that's just kind of checking it out at home and look this is this is you know where we're heading in the future you know photorealism and you know 4k 8k whatever you want to call it uh just kind of helps bring you close to the action gets you more immersed in what you're watching and i'm all for that kind of stuff yeah the next the next uh iteration of improvement if you like 
that I would love to see, or more to the point, I'd love to hear, is for a way for the audio to be better. I think miking up the cage is always a real challenge. And the thing that we've really noticed with this pandemic era UFC is we're really hearing the shots land now. And I think being able to carry that through when there is still 10, 15, 20,000 fans in the stands, that's going to be the next challenge, I think, for the UFC. And in terms of audio production, can they still bring that sort of visceral, um, primal sort of sound of those punches landing while still bringing the big arena experience with the crowd and all the rest of it? Hopefully not the wooing. I, ho- I hope we don't get that back again. But getting the crowd back in will be will be fantastic. And um, it's interesting. Dana White actually said he's he's pretty hopeful that we could have full arena crowds at at UFC events in the states, whether it be Vegas or Florida, were the two places that he said, possibly by the end of the summer. Which I, my eyes popped out of my head when he said that. I, I did not see that coming. Um, it was Adam. Adam Hill from the Vegas Review Journal, who I know very well, he, he was asking him about it because the Golden Knights in Vegas are going to start trialing limited attendance for their ice hockey NHL games at T-Mobile Arena. So it fell, it sort of fell on that that it would be something that the, that the UFC could potentially do. Dana White was like, no, I don't want to do that. If I'm going to do it, I want full crowds. I want, and we're, you know, we're going to wait until we can do it, but we think we can p- p- potentially we can do it by the summer. Um, it might be earlier than that on Fight Island. Who knows? But to think that we could have full arenas in the States by the middle of the year would be would be quite something. Hopefully, it can be done safely. But I wonder how it will be. Which event will be the first one that actually gets the full arena treatment, Sandy? Probably July 4th you know, weekend. I mean, if that's what they're pushing for in the summer, that's always a, a big one. International Fight Week and... You get a, you know, the fans flying in for a week where there's tons of activities going on. I know that New York are looking at, I think, between two to 3,000 fans in attendance, and that should be happening fairly soon. And, and I thought, okay, well, if New York opened the door there, you know, imagine the UFC selling a Connor Dustin trilogy fight with premium tickets only, you know, for about two to 3,000 fans. But listen, if nothing else, Simon, going back to my big prediction at the start of the year when we did our big predictions show, I did say that the UFC would probably be the first ones to hold a stadium show, not an arena show, a full packed stadium show by the end of the year. So if Dana White's already looking at an arena show by the summer, that gives me a little bit of confidence in my bold prediction there. But listen, as long as it's all done safely, people have been vaccinated and, and got COVID tests and, 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 and all the rest of it wearing masks. Um, you know, who, who wouldn't want to see fans back? Uh, in the arenas because uh, we do miss them and they definitely add something to the broadcast minus the wooing, wooing of course. I, I hear enough woos on a, on a Monday night when I'm doing my raw shift with, for BT Sport. Um, so I don't need to hear it on Saturday nights as well. But yeah, uh, love to see it back. I'd love to see the fans back. Still a little bit sceptical with regards to, um, you know, if that gets done by the summer, fingers crossed. Yeah, it's it was kind of an interesting press conference actually at the UFC 258 because lots of little news nuggets sort of came out of it that I thought I could very quickly run run through with you. The first one was obviously that potentially the fans coming back. Um, they're still pushing to try and get Khabib back. They're still trying. They, are, I, th- I think I wrote on MMA Junkie today. I don't know if the story's been published yet, but I, I described Dana White as a spurned lover who just won't give up. 
you know, he's he's in denial. He's he's still desperately trying to get Khabib back. But also, Khabib has all the leverage in the world right now. And it looks like they're going to rebook Dustin and Connor. That seems to be what's going to happen. They're going to rebook Dustin and Connor, but it won't be for the belt, is what is what Dana said. And there's talk about this unofficial lightweight tournament. I don't know whether this is Dana seeing all the buzz around Bellator's light heavyweight tournament, which we'll talk about in a minute, uh, and trying to sort of just just sort of trump that by just dropping the word tournament in there so that all the tournament traffic heads towards his comments on the UFC rather than the Bellator stuff. But um, they're looking at basically taking the top eight or nine guys at 155 minus Khabib and uh, basically pairing them off and eventually coming out with a with a brand new champion. But uh, I still think that he's, he's holding out hope that Conor McGregor can beat Dustin Poirier in the rubber match and then they go all guns blazing try and make that Khabib fight again but uh is that how likely do you think that scenario not 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 that Connor wins forget that let's just for the purposes of conversation say that Connor's going to win that fight how likely is it that Dana can get Khabib out for one more here's the thing about Khabib has he ever really gone against something that he is so vehemently and adamantly passionate about? I, I, I mean, I, I don't, he doesn't seem like a wishy-washy kind of guy. And he said for a long time anyway that he's already beaten Connor, he's got nothing to prove, you know. And, and the fact that he's already you know, reiterated on numerous occasions now through um, outlets in Russia that you know he's retiring and all the rest of it, it seems pretty set in stone. I think, again, the only thing that I personally think that I would have tempted him back would have been, or still potentially could be, is a George St. Pierre fight. Even We even saw Kamar Usman try and, you know, you know, get that uh, you know, narrative going, but GSP has already come out and said, not interested whatsoever in Kamar Usman. But it'll be, it'll be, listen, I wouldn't be that surprised because, listen, if anything, Dana White and the UFC have proven time and time again that Sometimes they can make the impossible possible, but I just feel like at this stage, Khabib is done. And honestly, can we just please move on? Like, if he's legitimately done, can we just like how how much more time do we want to give him, or how much how longer does he want to hold on to this UFC lightweight championship? Like, I wasn't the biggest fan of Connor fighting for a title coming off a loss, but at the end of the day, if Khabib's not going to be fighting anymore, and if he's retired, then give up the belt. Let's put that on uh, a situation where Dustin is deserving to fight for the title, right? Conor McGregor is going to bring, bring massive eyeballs to that fight. It's a big pay-per-view. It's a trilogy fight. It's one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah, Conor probably doesn't deserve it you know, from a meritocracy, uh, you know, can't get my words out, from a met meritocracy standpoint. But the fact that he's a former champion, Dustin's a former interim champion, let's just move on. I, I just want to I, I move on. And... This whole unofficial tournament, I don't care. If you want to do an official tournament, I'm all oh, in. Yeah. So this all this all vague, unofficial, you know, we're, we're, you know, tournament. It's not a tournament, then, is it? It's not like what Bellator are doing. They've got it all sussed out with brackets and all the rest of it. So let's just do what the UFC does best: put on the big title fights. Let's move on. It's not good for anybody else in the division, and it's but as as time goes on, Simon. I'm going to get sour about it, and I think a lot of other people are going to get sour about it, and it's, that's only going to be negative on Khabib. Him grasping onto that title for dear God as, as time moves on while he said he's retired and he's, and he's done with the sport, 
it's only going to reflect badly on him as time goes on. So I think the sooner he can just relinquish it and the UFC can just move that tile into a situation where it's it's vacated and, and two top contenders are fighting for it, the better for all parties concerned. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. I mean, I think the only reason Khabib has not announced it is because Dana has probably begged him not to. Because I think, I, I agree with you, I think Khabib's done. I really do. But Dana was even saying, who was it he was talking to earlier this week? He said, for the right man, he'll come back for the right guy. And he was he, he almost said, if we can make that happen, then he's going to come back. But that's why they're rebooking Connor and Dustin. I think he's convinced that if Connor beats Dustin, Khabib will come back and fight him again because it's such an enormous payday. Um, if you're Khabib, you can ask for the world on a, on a stick and the UFC will give it to you at this point. Want your promotion on Fight Pass? They'll give you that. Want want your teammates to be given uh, a fast track up their respective divisions? I'm sure they can accommodate that as well. So these are the sort of things that I think Khabib is probably mulling over when he heads over to Vegas to chat to um, to Dana for what 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 we're told is the final meeting. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm a bit tired of it. I'll be honest. I just want. I think you used the phrase uh, shit or get off the pot at one point on a previous show. And I do think, it, you know, we are we are approaching that territory. Dana just needs to book something or just let the man go. You know, if, if he's not prepared, how many times has he told fighters, if you're thinking of retiring, you should just retire? And how many times has he criticized fighters for saying they're not ready to compete on that particular date, saying he doesn't want the fight? Or even people who are in mid-negotiation said he doesn't want the fight. He doesn't want the fight. Khabib doesn't want to fight. You know, he's made that abundantly clear. So um, we just need to move on from that, which we will do on this podcast right now. And speaking of tournaments, we just mentioned it. Bellator are well and truly back. They put on a big showpiece press conference, um, made quite a bit of noise around it. I thought they did a really good job of it. Mauro Ronaldo, uh, master of ceremonies, had... Uh, had the two morning combat guys on uh, on 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 stage further up further up in the arena doing doing a great job of breaking it all down. Um, Luke and Brian doing a good job, and I thought the whole thing was great. The first thing they're going to be on Showtime, so all they're messing around with CBS and the Zone and all the rest of it, they're now on Showtime, which I think is the best place for them to be. UK, they're going to be on BBC iPlayer. Big deal for over here. None of this channel hopping, trying to work out, is it a, a European show, so it'll be on Channel 5, or is it a US show, so it'll be on Sky? Everything in one place. It's only for one year, though. It's just for 2021, so we'll see how this all goes. Um, but the big thing that really came out of it, they, they announced some big-time fights. Um, Patricio Pitbull is going to be facing Emmanuel Sanchez in the second semifinal of the Featherweight Grand Prix at Bellator 255. If he wins that... He's up against AJ McKee in the one million dollar final, so that is that is a big big deal for Bellator. They're going to wrap up that featherweight Grand Prix tournament probably by the summer, I would imagine. But it really was all about the light heavyweight tournament that they announced, and uh, eight man tournament. And unlike the previous tournament, they have actually bracketed the whole tournament out. So left hand side of the draw, Sandu, you've got former light heavyweight champion Ryan Bader. And Lyoto Machida, that's a rematch from the UFC days. Winner of that will take on the winner of Corey Anderson and Dovletjan Yashkimuradov, or Dovi Yags, as I'm going to call him because it's easier. 
Um, he's in superb form, former ACA or ACB champion, joining Bellator, taking on Corey Anderson. Other side of the draw, you've got the defending champ, Vadim Nenkov, taking on Phil Davis, a former champion. And then the matchup that everyone's been talking about, Sandu, and the one that's got me the most excited, Anthony Rumble Johnson against Yoel Romero. They've done the right thing, in my opinion, and they've booked them straight off the bat. No trying to make it happen through the, you know, through the draw so it happens in the final. Um, get it done. Book it. Make sure that fight actually takes place and we have a tournament and it is all mapped out. And you talked about Dana White, Sandu, talking about unofficial tournament. I love tournament MMA. I love the PFL format with the league and all the rest of it. But the tournament format for me, MMA was made for this. And I cannot wait for this one to start because everywhere you look, they're absolute killers in a draw. Mate, so much to unpack from this massive news announcement from Bellator. And I think for, for those of us that work in the business and work in the industry, we knew that this has been a long time coming. If COVID wasn't a thing, this is probably what we were expecting of Bellator to announce almost a year ago. And obviously the world changed. And so fast forward to 2021 and it's finally happened. You've got Scott Coker and Steven Espinosa working once again. Obviously, they have a history when Scott Coker was leading things at Strike Force. Steven Espinosa has always been at Showtime. And you're right, Simon. It's the perfect sp uh, spot for them because Showtime is synonymous with combat sports. They obviously air a lot of boxing. They've obviously previously aired MMA via Strike Force and they've helped you know, really build some incredibly big stars when you're talking about um, you know, Luke Rockhold and Ronda Rousey and, and the list just goes on and on, right? And and I finally feel like Bellator have a broadcast partner that's out there to compete to get as many eyeballs from the combat sports world on their brand. I'll tell you something else that I really like about this deal for them. They're on Friday nights. So this is not just for fans that are based in the US, but I guess for global MMA fans, if you look at PFL, Bellator, and the UFC, they're not competing with each other on any nights. I think PFL may have one or maybe two shows on a Friday night this, this upcoming year. But for the most part, there are third, their whole thing when I was working there, Simon, was we own Thursday nights. We are Thursday night MMA. So you'll have PFL on Thursday nights. You'll have Bellator on Friday nights. You'll have UFC on Saturday nights. They're not competing for eyeballs during their broadcast. What they are going to be competing for is media attention and getting you know the media out there and trying to make sure that the fans are talking about their their fights and you know, how they can spin the narrative through PR and tell good stories and you know provide good shoulder programming and and all the rest of it. So and I, and I feel like just overall with the Showtime umbrella, they've been really planting a lot of seeds with regards to who they're working with on the broadcast, who they're working with on digital content. You know, they create this morning combat brand with uh, Luke Thomas and Brian Campbell. They've already been working with Brendan Shaw and his Below the Belt brand. So that's been kind of them laying the foundations over the last couple of years. And, and it's all been leading to them getting back into MMA in a big way. So that's great. You talked about the BBC iPlayer deal, Simon. I freaking hated the fragmentation of the old Bellator broadcast in terms of where you have to find it. Is it is it Facebook? Is it Channel 5? Is it Sky Sports? The fact that it's all got one home moving forwards in the BBC iPlayer is absolutely fantastic news. And, and you know, from the BBC point of view, Simon, it's a one-year deal. Maybe this is them really getting dipping their feet into the water because 
I think we've noticed, and obviously you're providing some great editorial support there with the story that you've been writing. I feel like they're slowly stepping up their overall game in terms of their coverage of MMA. And so this is a great step forward. What this means long-term remains to be seen. And then finally, Simon, you know, you know, you laid it up for me perfectly. This this light heavyweight tournament is fantastic. I'm so on board with the fact that they went ahead with Rumble Johnson and Yoel Romero straight away in that first round. Fantastic. Because we saw many, many years ago, the, the heavyweight Grand Prix and Strike Force was really meant to be set up to produce a, a, a super fight between Fedor and Alistair Overeem, and it just never materialized. And it was just so disappointing. And so the minute they signed Romero and the minute they signed Rumble, Everybody was saying, don't screw this up, Bellator. Don't mess this up. Just give us the fight that we want. And I, when I was watching that presentation last week, honestly, my biggest takeaway was, right, give us the big fights. Don't mess about. Job done. And I feel like moving forwards, we'll be talking about Bellator a lot more. They're going to be putting on some big fights that are going to get, a, you know, that, that are going to, you know, rightfully so, get a lot more attention. And listen, competition is good for everybody involved in this business. So yeah, just absolutely loved this announcement and I can't wait for Bellator and Showtime to kick things off. Yeah, the month of April is going to be a lot of fun if you are an MMA fan because obviously the UFC, they do their they do their thing on a Saturday night. We already know that we've got a couple of fight nights scheduled, but there's got to be a pay-per-view dropped in there at April at some point as well. Bellator are going to be on the first three Fridays in April. So you've got Bellator 255, Pitbull versus Sanchez will be on Friday the 2nd. Bellator 256, which will be Bader versus Machida in the tournament and Corey Anderson versus Dovi Yags in the other tournament uh, bracket fight in that half of the draw. That's on, where are we? Where are we? Checking his calendar. The 9th, Friday the 9th. Then Friday the 16th, you've got Bellator 257 where the two fights in the other half of that Grand Prix will take place, Nenkov versus Davis, and of course, Anthony Rumble Johnson and Yoel Romero. And then on the 23rd, you've got week one of the PFL 2021 season. So they've they've cleverly basically missed the week. Um, and then they're going to come back in May, on May the 7th, Bellator 258, which will be a bantamweight title fight in the headliner, Juan Archuleta versus Sergio Pettis. So they're, they're stacking the deck and loading up the events, which is great to see. Also through April, one championship are, are, are running their four-night four run on TNT in the States. So what you're going to have through the month of April, you're going to have Wednesday night fights and Friday night fights and Saturday night fights. So it's going to be wall-to-wall MMA through the month of April. It is going to be a lot of fun. So, uh, yeah, the calendar's beginning to fill up. And uh, I actually put an exclusive out on MMA Junkie this morning. Cage Warriors are going to go big in 2021. They've got some big, big plans for the year ahead. They're targeting California. They're targeting Dublin. They're targeting Paris, France. And they already have two trilogy, uh, two trilogy events, actually three trilogy events, in London set for this year and they're going to end the year with another trilogy event at a, a currently un, unclarified location but they're going to do 17 events if all of this comes to pass they're going to do 17 events in 2021 which I think is pretty much on target to be their most prolific year in a long long time so 
check out MMA Junkie. There's a whole load of information there that I managed to get out first thing this morning. So uh, lots of info on Cage Warriors as well. So we got a whole load of stuff coming your way. We'll obviously chat about the, the biggest and best of it right here on the Brit Pack. And the next live event, Sandu, is this coming weekend, UFC Fight Night, Blades versus Lewis. Two heavyweights who are trying to burst their way into a title contention. It's a it's a tricky ask for both men. They've kind of been up and down with their form. And uh, they've both obviously been there or thereabouts without ever quite making it. It's it's really win or go home for these two, I think. Who who are you leaning towards in this one? Because it's this is a pivotal a, a pivotal fight for both men, isn't it? Yeah, massive. I feel like I'm leaning blades here, Simon, only because I feel like he doesn't really care about standing and banging, does he? He's not that kind of fighter. He's a he's a smart, intelligent mixed martial artist, and ultimately the goal for him, which was clearly evident in his performance against Alexander Volkov last uh, summer was to get the job done and get the W. Now, was it the most entertaining fight? No. Did they get some criticism from Dana White? Yes. You know, he wants to fight for the title. Does that mean he necessarily has to get a first-round knockout highlight reel? No, but it certainly helps. And so it all comes down to what kind of Curtis Blades we're going to see on fight night. And for me, I think we're going to see a smart, intelligent fighter who's going to stick to the game plan and, you know, we did see in that performance against Volkov, Simon, the guy was heaving for hair. Like he was he was really struggling to to get his breath back uh, for that post-fight interview because he did go the, fight, the full five rounds. And it's not as if Derek Lewis has been exactly, um, you know, a cardio machine himself either. So this is going to be interesting, Simon. If this fight ends up going into the fourth or fifth rounds, Jesus Christ, I don't know what kind of action we're going to see in the octagon. Um, I'm hoping for an explosive early finish here. Uh, that we all would love to see from big heavyweights, but something tells me that this may go into deep waters. And when it does, it's going to be interesting to see how this one plays out. But yeah, if you're you know, asking me for a prediction right now, I think Curtis Blades gets the job done. Yeah, I think uh, I think Curtis Blades knows that he needs to, first and foremost, a win is an absolute must. Um, I think he's going to be targeting a ground and pound finish. I think that is... That is basically where he's going to win this fight. I think take Derek Lewis off his feet, remove any chance of getting knocked out from the equation, and then just get to work on the ground. Blades is a big, big man at heavyweight. I, I'm sure he cuts to make 265. He's 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 a big lump of a heavyweight, as is Derek Lewis. But um, I think Blades has that wrestling ability. I think he'll take the fight down and uh, and probably win it on the deck. Uh, if Derek Lewis wins, then you could be pretty sure that it's going to be a very fun experience watching him probably have to bounce back from a few early takedowns and maybe try and repeat the trick that he did against Alexander Volkov and uh, pull something out of the bag late on. But um, yeah, anything else on that main event, Sandu, before we kick on? No, I think this is obviously, uh, we're, we're heading into a stretch now with the UFC where there's obviously some massive title fights coming up in March. We've got a few fight night events and, you know, on paper, and I think this has been the trend for a while now, it is all about main events. Yes, um, main cards and prelims are, you know, have been decent, but just the way, and again, the UFC are still struggling with COVID uh, to kind of really build cards. And there's so many fighters that are getting multiple opportunities. We saw Ricky Simon getting his second fight already within the space of what, uh, 30 days. And, um, then there's some fighters like Leon Edwards who just, you know, 
something goes wrong and he, he hasn't fought in a couple of years now. But um, but for me, these fight night cards have, you know, have for the last while now are constantly geared towards just the main event. Now, from, from our perspective, look, we've got Tom Aspinall, right? Massive British heavyweight prospect who's got a really important fight in terms of uh, a name, former former UFC heavyweight champion in Andre Arlovsky. And uh, if Tom Aspinall can, can beat Arlovsky, who just doesn't seem to go away, you know, he's like 42 years old and, you know, he, he comes across uh, a bit of a skid, but then he bounces back. He's coming off two wins himself. But if Tom Aspinall, Simon, can beat Andre Arlovsky, that would be a real big statement winning on, on his resume. Yeah, absolutely huge opportunity for him. He he's he's a, a star in the making. You know, British heavyweights don't grow on trees, and he's got great hands. And for a heavyweight, he's got outstanding hands. So he's gonna he's gonna face a real test up against Andre Arlovsky, who's been there, seen it, done it. Fancies himself as a bit of an MMA boxer himself. I think this one could could be one of the better fights of the night for as long as it lasts. I think we're gonna see how Tom Aspinall takes a shot in this fight because we haven't really seen it so far. We haven't needed to. He's looked, he's looked pretty dominant. Andre Alovsky is certainly going to crack that chin at some point during the fight, but I've got a sneaking suspicion. It could be a big night for Tom Aspinall on Saturday night. Another name to look out for Pat Sabatini, former cage fury fighting championship featherweight champion who is stepping up to the UFC. He's a bit of a prospect. He's, he's good fun to watch. And uh, I've seen a few of his fights on the regional scene in the uh, on the east coast of the of the United States. He's good, and uh, he's going to get a main card shot against uh, Rafael Alves at 145 pounds. So he's one to look out for. And Chris Dorcas, who also used to be, I think he might have been the Cage Fury heavyweight champion. He's taking on Alexi Olenek. He's only been in the UFC for a couple of fights or so, Dorcas, and they're giving him one of the most seasoned heavyweights on the face of the earth in Alexi Olenek. So that'll be a fun one to watch as well. But uh, it really is about that main event, as you say, Sandu, a real opportunity for one of these two big guys to really make a statement and try and uh, try and blast their way towards title contention as we go into 2021. The heavyweight division is starting to stack up uh, this year, especially with John Jones joining the fray. That was another piece of news, actually. Dana White said John Jones is going to face the winner of Stipe Miocic and Francis Ngannou. So if that, that being the case, we know that as you said, I think on previous shows, there's no way Jones is going to come in and have a tune-up fight. If he's joining, he's joining for the belt. And uh, it looks like that's what's going to happen at some point in the second half of 2021. I think, Sandu, that might be all we have on this week's show. Certainly is. And we say it every week, but thank you so much for your support of the Brit Pack. Uh, for those of you that want to show your support, uh, something that you can do that's very, very easy is rate and review us, especially if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts. It really goes a long way in helping the show get found on that particular platform. We are available on Apple. We're available on Spotify. We're available on YouTube. If you are the kind of person that likes to listen to podcasts on the YouTube uh, application and just have it on in the background while you work away, um, we're available on YouTube. It's going to be video. It's coming soon. It'll probably happen in the next couple of months. We are working hard on, you know, on stuff behind the scenes to make sure that when we do make the jump to video, that it looks the business. Uh, but for now, we're available on YouTube as an audio-only show. So go over there, like, and subscribe to the channel. That'll be much appreciated. 
Of course, you can always go to our Substack, the Britpack.substack.com. And then ultimately, you can always go to the website, which is the Britpackmma.com. And from there, you can find us on social media. You can find us on uh, various platforms. If you want to follow Simon, he's at Simon Head on Twitter, at Simon Head Sport on Instagram. And I am at Sandu MMA on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I'm now on Facebook at Simon Head at Sport as well. Yay! So it's been kind of sitting there doing not a lot, and I just thought, oh, sod it! I should really, I should really start putting stuff on that. So, so that's now kind of up and running. I'm putting bits. You know, if Facebook is your social media platform of choice, then uh, then please do bung my journo page a follow, and you'll get all my stuff on there as well, including this show. So uh, thanks to everyone for checking out the show. Thanks for your support and enjoy the fights this weekend. We'll be back next week.